Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 492 with Elise Keith. Elise is talking about meetings and how to make them better, more efficient, more outstanding. So you'll learn one, science of an ineffective meeting. Two, how the best organizations approach meetings. And three, when and how to opt out of a meeting. So if you want to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F492. Now here's Elise's story. Elise Keith is the co-founder of an online meeting management platform called Lucid Meetings. She's known as the Meeting Maven, and she offers unprecedented expertise that inspires audiences, proving that meetings shouldn't be fewer or shorter, but better and more effective. She's the author of Where the Action Is, The Meetings That Make or Break Your Organization, which contains eye-opening strategies companies can use to structure beneficial meetings, create a healthy workplace culture, and propel overall team momentum. Big thanks to Elise for spending some time with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Now, here's Elise. Elise, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, I'm excited to dig into this and I want to get your take. You know, often the first question I ask is an icebreaker of sorts and you've seen a lot of icebreakers, I imagine, in your day. Could you share maybe an all-time favorite or least favorite icebreaker and, and story that goes with it? Okay, so I have two for this one. The kind of icebreaker you should use really depends on the kind of meeting you're having and, you know, what's going on in your culture. So there's all kinds of, of really good icebreakers that are also really different. But one I like to use when I do, like, say, a workshop where I've got a group and maybe they know each other, maybe they don't, but you got to get them loosened up a bit is what was your favorite band or artist in high school? That is fun. It is fun because you get a chance to get a sense of people's culture and sort of their inner id when you find, uh, I did this with a group of librarians recently, 
And to hear the number of them that were deep, hardcore punk fans and then old school hillbilly rock was kind of kind of enlightening. <laughs> that is fun. Well, and what was yours? You know, I was a big Midnight Oil fan in uh, high school, which I grew out of. <laughs> but mm -hmm. at the time, it seemed appropriately edgy and world saving and different enough to be special. Yeah. How about you? Well, you know, it's funny. I didn't own a lot of CDs because that's what we had at the time. But I do remember, I think that uh, Blink-182 Dude Ranch was an album I played again and again. And I also went to a number of punk rock shows myself. Uh, I remember the band 15 with Jeff Ott was something in vogue with uh, my people and myself. And then, yeah. See? I mean, like all of a sudden we, you know, I like Midnight Oil. My first album was um, Pour Some Sugar On Me, Def Leppard. Yes, thank you. Well, and I think we're gonna have some extra fun here talking about meetings. And and so meetings are often just a huge pain point for professionals. So I, I'd love to maybe you could start us off by orienting us to kind of the state of meetings today, like any hard numbers you have in terms of how much time professionals spend in meetings, what proportion of those meetings are effective, how you would define effective, kind of where do we stand today? Yada, yada, stats, stats, right? So in terms of the, the overall uh, situation with meetings, our most recent and best research shows that there are somewhere north of 65 million meetings per day in the U.S. alone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of us are not working just in the U.S. It's, uh, it's an international economy now. So, so that's millions and millions and millions of meetings every single day. Now, it's a huge number, so that's not necessarily relevant to each of us personally, which brings you to the second question, right? Like how much time are individuals spending in meetings? And that's kind of all over the map, depending on where you are in the organization and, and what kind of organization you're in. Um, it can be somewhere as low as like, say, half an hour or less for some people. But when you get farther up the chain, when you get into middle management or C-suite or VP suites in uh, collaborative organizations, that's going to be typically somewhere between 60 and 80% of their day they're going to spend in meetings. It's a ton of time. It's a ton of money that we invest in these. Right. Because every one of those hours, you know, has uh, dollars associated with it. So, all right. So that's kind of the, the time load. And how often are the meetings working? And how would we even define working from a numerical perspective? Yeah, that's a really good question, right? Because a lot of times the way that there's a fair amount of research into whether meetings are effective. And often the way that research is done is people will throw out a survey uh, lots of survey monkey surveys, which are like, think of your last five meetings and estimate which percentage of them were effective. And so you get numbers where people say, you know, half of them were effective. But okay. when you dig into that research a little bit deeper, right, you do some actual investigation with the companies and people talking about the specific meetings they've attended, you know, so how was your last meeting? Would you have rather had that been a giant series of email, that kind of thing? What you find is that the, the equation flips and it turns out that, you know, folks by and large think meetings work a lot better than the alternatives. Okay. Well, that's, that's good to know. That's good news. <laughs> But it's, you know, the, the thing about effectiveness is that, you know, what does that word even mean, right? And that's where you get into sort of the more interesting tactics and, and tools, because for a meeting to be effective, you have to be asking yourself, well, what is it effective at? 
what you, can you use that effectively to do? And in that case, you've got to look at both, you know, are the people in the room enjoying it? Is that, do they feel it's a good use of time? And then is it producing results for your business? So those are, those are the two angles on effectiveness that you can pull together and then you can start to see, okay, now, regardless of what the big stats say, what's happening in my world here? Okay, certainly. And so then I'd love to get your take then. So, so what do some of the, the best in class versus worst in class organizations look like with regard to meeting performance on these dimensions? So it's often easier to start with the worst because that's probably where a lot of people are. <laughs> Meeting performance in isn't something that most organizations have taken seriously. And so what they do is they wing it. You know, essentially you let, uh, you leave it to each and every manager and project manager and leader and whatnot to figure out how to meet as they think best for what they're trying to do. And that kind of approach sort of assumes that, you know, everybody's been in a lot of meetings. They ought to know what they're doing. Let's get them in a room. Off they go. So that's what most people are doing. And it's deeply, sadly ineffective most of the time. Okay. And in what ways? Well, it turns out that meetings are are different than conversations, right? And meetings are a skilled activity that you can learn how to run, and then design to achieve specific goals. So, you know, there really isn't any such thing as a generic good meeting. There are really good sales calls. There are really good interviews. There are really good ways to keep a project moving. And each one of those is a different kind of meeting that should be designed to achieve that goal. So in the best organizations, they do that. They get training for everybody and they design systems. So they take their meetings and they stop them being habits and they turn them into systems that are designed to achieve the goals that they support. Okay. So now, so you lay out 16 types of meetings that work and you, you mentioned a couple there. I guess I'm curious to hear what types of meetings don't work. <laughs> so the types of meetings that don't work are the ones that are basically kitchen soup. Do you ever do that? Do you ever do like a kitchen sink soup or a, or a casserole where, where you've got a pot and you're just going to throw everything that you own in there before it goes bad? And that's the soup you've got, All right. which sometimes works great, but most of the time it doesn't. So that's what a lot of folks are doing with their meetings. You know, I've got a time blocked on Tuesday. We always meet on Tuesday. My whole team shows up and we decide, hey, what is it we have to talk about today? Okay. So there we go. So it's kind of like I'm hearing some, some telltale signs there. One, it's, it's recurring. And two, there, there's not a plan in advance. And, and three, there's multiple, you know, people in it as opposed to like a one on one. So there's some ingredients, I guess, that may have a higher risk, perhaps, uh, of not working out optimally uh, in the course of having that meeting. So everything is just sort of like, all right, here we all are now. So sort of as opposed to a proactive, thoughtful, upfront design of what are we hoping to achieve and kind of planning from there. Yeah. So it's, it's really about clarity of purpose, right? And what you're trying to accomplish in the room. And if you walk into the room and you're not entirely sure what you're trying to accomplish, or why everybody needs to be there. So you've invited all of the people because you're not entirely sure who should be in and who should be out, then you're likely to waste your time. Mm -hmm. And certainly, even if you do know what you need to accomplish, there are some things that just psychologically we're not designed to do at the same time. 
Mm-hmm. So can we do a couple of examples? Oh, yes. So the, the project status update. It's okay. a meeting most people loathe, right? But it's it's designed to make sure that everybody working on the project knows what's happening, gets an update about anything that's changed that they need to know about, and has a chance to raise any you know concerns like, hey, here's a red flag, we need to work on this. But the but the underlying psychological thing going on there is you've all agreed to do something together. And you're going to make sure that you continue to trust each other and execute on that so that you can keep the work going. You're doing momentum and energy and trust, mm-hmm. right? In a meeting like that, when we have already made promises in the past and we're showing up to recommit to those promises and show that we're good for them, it's not a great moment to say, do something like, you know what? Let's just go crazy and think up some wild ideas about what we might do now, right? Gotcha. Or, Hey, here's a great problem. Why don't we uh, explore all of the different kinds of creative out-of-the-box thinking on how we might tackle this problem? The whole point of the project status meeting is to say, yes, we've defined a box and we're in that box and we're moving this box down the road. (laughs) When you ask people to step out of the box, right in the middle of that, you're having them break from one mode of interaction to a completely different mode. And you get Mm -hmm. the worst possible ideas ever because everything people raise is safe, right? Right. And you don't want safe when you're doing brainstorming. You don't want safe when you're doing problem solving. You want innovative. You want effective. So so you got to break those conversations into distinct conversations. Okay, certainly. So you've got a, a clear purpose and a design, and that's what you're you're running with, and you're not kind of mixing and matching in there understood. And, and so I'm curious with the, with the project status update meeting, let's, let's talk about that example. So people often don't like it. And, and so what, what are some of the other things that are going wrong? Sometimes folks just sort of wildly sort of go off, off the script and, and enter a, a different phase. And, and what are some of the things that also can go awry or are indicative of, hey, this project status meeting is great? <laughs> so what you're looking for in terms of signifiers of great are, are energy right? You're looking for energy. You're looking for some amount of dynamic that in the case of a status meeting, which is probably one of the worst meetings to be using as our example, but in the case of that meeting, that energy and that dynamic might come from just keeping it really crisp and short, right? And being Mm -hmm. very, very respectful of everybody's time. But in every case, you know, one of the things that keeps these meetings from being particularly successful is that whoever is in charge of that meeting is probably frantic, right? They're probably running from one thing to another with very little time to prepare. And they walk into the room believing that it's their job to make that a fabulous experience or an effective experience or an efficient experience or whatever it is that they believe for everyone else. Mm -hmm. And they do all the talking. And they set the agenda. And then they basically demand reports from everyone else. Well, that's deadly. It's like you've shown up to the soccer match and you've got a sense of what it means to win the game. So you get your team together and then you run the ball up and down and tell them what you're doing. <laughs> you know, you don't have anybody else participating. You don't have everybody else bringing something to the field and helping you get that goal together. So the best meetings are ones where everybody's got a job to do in that room and it, they're team sports. You know, it's not not the leader's show. So that's a good thing to talk about right there. So if there are folks in the meeting who say nothing, is that suggest that perhaps they ought not to be in the meeting? It either suggests that they shouldn't be in the room because meetings are not a spectator sport, mm-hmm. right? Or they need some training. They need some education. So 
they need education and the person in charge needs education because if you have people who are in that room who should be contributing and they're not, that's broken. We don't hire and have people work on our teams so that they can, you know, absorb oxygen in the space. They're, they're there to contribute their, their perspectives and their ideas and the information they have that we don't that helps us collectively get to a better result. And, and would your view then be if, if they are just sort of receiving information, then we should use a, a different format to, to convey the information? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes that's not practical right? Like sometimes you just can't count on everybody to have done their homework in advance. So there are practices that uh, companies put in place to help with that. Like there, there are ways to get around that, that are uh, respectful of the fact that people don't necessarily have time to proactively prepare. And yet you still don't want to read to them like they were in kindergarten because, you know, that's disengaging and a little insulting, frankly. So, you know, one of the really famous ones is Amazon. In corporate headquarters, uh, they begin all of their meetings with 10 minutes of silent reading, where whatever it is that they're going to discuss, you know, is it a proposal or the financial reports or whatever it is, is distributed in paper, and everybody at the table has 10 minutes to read it through right there. Okay. You know, I really like that. And because you're right, as opposed to people just trying to fake it. You know, and, and not look dumb and, and sort of, you know, say expansive things. It's like, no, just, just just do this right now. Here's the time. Let's just do it. Yeah. I mean, you know, and it's also kind of a, a wonderful way to acknowledge that, like, you need people to come prepared, but you don't control their calendar outside of that meeting. Right. Right. So that prep work is part of the work of the meeting. Why not just build that time into the meeting itself? Certainly. Well, and especially if it's 10 minutes, you know, because that's something that can be handy in the sense of, you know, you've maybe looked at a lot of those bits and pieces over time and, oh, here it is all collected and you're kind of up to speed and we're on the same page and we're moving. You know, I've actually had a couple guests before they'll ask me, so tell me about your audience. And I'm thinking, okay, this means you didn't read all the things I sent you. Right. Uh, and I was like, well, hey, how about this? Here, let me send you this link and we can just sort of read that quietly for a moment. And I'm going to go sort of get a glass of water and then and we'll reconnect. And so I try to do that as respectfully as possible. <laughs> <laughs> but it's maddening, right? Because you only have so much time. So you asked me earlier about, about both an icebreaker and then about meeting research, right? Like, like the stats behind meetings. But uh, when you dig into meetings and you see that what's going on there is you're bringing together a complex group of people to talk about work, which in and of itself is probably pretty complex too. So it's this really dynamic system of things going on, all kinds of things that can go wrong. So one of the reasons the icebreaker is such a great tool and why Amazon's, you know, 10 minutes of silent reading is also a great tool is that the first tip to every successful meeting is to help people transition into the room. And this is coming out of like the neuroscience and the the social psychology research, you know, we're all dealing with, you know, up to like six different levels of distraction in our brain when we walk into that room. So our first job is to, you know, clear all of that. And there's a technique called clearing that explicitly does that, but you can do it a whole bunch of different ways and get everybody focused on whatever's going on in that room and not the email they need to still write or the fact that their kids might call or their hungry stomachs or any of those other things, you know, how do you get people into the room? That is the absolute first tip to any successful meeting. And silent reading is one way to do it. Well, I love it. So what are some of the other alternatives and and clearing approaches? Yeah. So a clearing approach, and actually uh, several companies use this, 
is it's explicit. It is, uh, you walk in and everybody takes a moment to say, you know, hey, today I'm dealing with this. I'm feeling this way, but I'm ready to put that aside and I'm in. And then everybody else says, welcome. And those are the words, I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. And so you go around the room and everybody says, you know, this is what's going on for me, but I'm, I'm ready and I'm in. And so I imagine that could go quickly or not so quickly. <laughs> are, are there some uh, guidelines there? That's uh, really up to the team and the culture. So in some teams, they go real fast and they keep it fast and many people pass, right? Because their values are about efficiency. In other teams, their values are about community. And this is another tip with the, with meetings. Your meetings are absolutely the best place to design in the values you want to see your culture support and engage, right? So and at Lululemon, they do the clearing and then they follow the clearing by the vibrations. And that practice is where they go around and they say, you know, hey, is there anything you're hearing that you think we should know about? And a vibration might be like a rumor that's going around the office or something somebody saw in the news or the weather, or it could be any of these things where they're just like, hey, we think the group ought to know about this. And what they do in their teams is sometimes what comes up in the clearing or in the vibrations is a big deal. And that's what they talk about. And they take the rest of their agenda and they move it to another day. Right. That is really handy because I think a lot of times there is great information that just never has an opportunity to surface. It's like, oh, someone else uh, launched a competitive yoga pant on Kickstarter that everyone is raving about. It's like, oh, I had no idea. Right, absolutely. <laughs> I'm so glad we had a moment for you to share that with us because that could that could change all kinds of things. And maybe we wouldn't have noticed this for another five months, you know, until maybe it's a lot later for us to respond effectively. Yeah, well, it's, it's a huge deal. Like, I, I don't know if you've seen any of the research that Amy Edmondson's done into psychological safety, right? It's the... It's this, this bit where we feel like we're in a group that cares enough about us that it's safe to take risks. We can tell them things that, that may or may not fit the, the dominant narrative, right? And one of the things that she points out when she explains this to people is that, you know, half of the time people are afraid to speak up, not because they have evidence that something bad would happen, right? There, there are people who are afraid to speak up in environments where, you know, quote unquote, nobody ever gets fired, right? <laughs> so, mm -hmm. right? So nothing bad would happen to them, but they just, nobody does it. They're not really sure. So one of the really important things we can do in our meetings is ask, <laughs> you know, just make time and space to ask the questions about what people are seeing and what ideas they have so that they know that those are welcome. That's great. Well, so I, I'm digging this. So he said, hey, once you're actually in the meeting, first step, transition into the room. Could be some silent reading, could be uh, some clearing, asking about the vibrations, what's what's going on. Could be an icebreaker, all the mm -hmm. things. Yep. Mm -hmm. Do you have a second step? So then you need to connect with the goals and the purpose of the meeting. So purpose is a, is a verb. You know, we're here to do this, to make a decision, to have a podcast interview, you know, whatever our, our purpose is. And then at the end, we're about to achieve this. So those are your desired outcomes. We're going to have a decision, a list of next steps, and extra pizza, to <laughs> whatever, the, yum, yum. whatever those outcomes are. So you confirm that up front uh, and then confirm what your plan is for getting from, okay, we've gathered for this reason, for this purpose. We're trying to get out with those outcomes. Here's the plan for getting between point A to, to point B. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, most times people express that as an agenda. You don't necessarily need an agenda, but you do need a plan. All right. And you were saying earlier that it's best to perhaps not be the, the sole person who has that all figured out. Right. So as the person in charge of, you know, there, there are multiple roles that you can bring to bear in a meeting. There's the titular head of whatever that piece of work is, right? The, the leader. But you can have other people facilitate. Facilitator's job is to design that process part and then be the guardians of that process. You can have people assigned to take notes. You can have people assigned to be the vibes watchers or the, the norms enforcers where they, they're keeping track of everybody else. You know, all kinds of different ways in which you can get other people involved in making that successful. And so... That's handy. And then what's the third step? So then the final thing you have to do for any meeting to be effective is you have to wrap it up. And that's five minutes, maybe more, maybe less at the end of every meeting where you stop and you explicitly say, okay, let's make sure we actually know what we did here. (laughs) What decisions did we make? And what are our actions that we're going to take away? right? Like who, what, when specifically this is going to be done by this date, by this person. And ideally you want to do those in writing where everybody can be looking at them and committing that that is in fact what they thought the decision was. Because way too often people walk out the room all thinking they made the same decision, but you know, five minutes later you're in another meeting, you've completely forgot and it gets fuzzy. So you want that in writing and you want to confirm it before you leave. So we were talking about some form of like projection, uh, is, is present. So, or we are are visually looking at this wrap up piece. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, there are a bunch of ways to do that. There's a lot of different software platforms you can use that are about taking collaborative notes on meetings in real time. You can uh, do it on a whiteboard. You know, there are a lot of different ways you can do it, but you want people to be able to explicitly see that. And by having it be written, not only are you making it easier to get the notes out afterwards, which is a bonus, you're engaging multiple parts of the brain, right? Mm -hmm. We process information differently when we read it versus when we hear it versus when we speak it. So you put all those things together and you're, you know, from a geeky perspective, you're encoding these yeah. promises deeper into your team. And that's okay. critical. And then the last, last thing I think you should always do before you leave any meeting is to say, thank you. You know, take a moment and express some appreciation. All right. And, and so just associated with like the time for, you know, investing themselves for, for thinking, for contributing, for not blowing it off. But, you know, I, I guess I can think of a lot of things you might thank people for. For something fabulous someone did, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you can, you can have people thank each other. You know, I really appreciate Sandy because she brought up that point and I wouldn't have known about those Kickstarter yoga pants. She has saved our bacon, right? Mm-hmm. The appreciations not only show people that you care and respect their time, it's also a fabulous way to help everybody learn what the group values by being very yeah. explicit about what you're acknowledging. Okay. Well, so in between the the second step of connecting with purpose and the third step of, of the, the wrap-up, are there some particular practices that ensure that the actual conversations we're having are effective, that they're bringing us to where we want to go during the course of the meeting? Absolutely. There absolutely are. And the challenge is that they're different depending on the type of meeting you're in. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Which is why when you get into an organization that's got really high meeting performance maturity, you know, it's basically in our research, when we looked at across the board, we found a number of practices that organizations establish as they're putting their system in place from, you know, 
very basic. We don't have a system to, we have this system that's really locked and solid and really helping us drive our business forward. And one of those, as you get in there, is that as we're talking about this, right, there's the the purpose and the outcomes and the different types of meetings and special ways you have to run each one. Well, that's an awful lot of stuff to mm-hmm. learn and have to try and apply in around the rest of what you're doing. So what, what these organizations do is they have standardized ways they do each of the different types of meetings that matter to their business that people are expected to learn and then iterate and adapt and work with, but they're not starting from scratch. So when you go to Amazon, you don't get to just guess how you're going to start your meeting, right? They have their Mm -hmm. 10 minute thing. And when you go to an organization that's practicing uh, open book management, you don't guess how you're going to run your weekly leadership meeting. It works like this and you review the books. So they have codified practices that help shortcut the learning for all of those different things. Well, could you maybe give us an example of a meeting type and some practices that are overlooked but make all the difference in the world when you're having that meeting type? There are a whole series of meetings that we call the the cadence meetings. They're the, the meetings about keeping momentum going on a project or keeping a team together where they can build trust, right? And a lot of the practices that are key in those meetings has to do with who speaks, you know, who's setting the tone and how rapidly, how frequently you're doing it. So let's take a look at um, one-on-ones, for example. So the traditional approach in many companies is that managers know they'd better have one-on-ones. So they schedule them once a month, maybe once every 90 days, you know, something because they know they have to. And they have employees come in and they say, okay, you know, let's look at your 30, 60, 90 day goals. And the employee sort of reports on what they're doing and they all check the boxes and out they go. Well, Cisco just did a big study with 15,000 teams on how to run effective one-on-ones. And what they found was very, very specific. And it was this, first of all, you've got to flip it. So the manager doesn't go in Mm -hmm. and ask the employee to report to them. Instead, the employee says, hey, here are my priorities and here's where I need your help. So the employee is driving the agenda. And they use those two questions as the way they start it. Okay. And the second key thing they found is that it has to be at least every week. Because otherwise, they're talking about work that isn't related to what they're actually doing on a detailed basis. And the idea that the manager could possibly care about what, you, what you're working on when they only check in on how they can help every 90 days. You know, it's just it, nobody mm-hmm. buys it. So once a week, employee-driven, and engagement on those teams goes up pretty dramatically. Okay, understood. So that's striking. So that's what Cisco does. And then one-on-ones every week with every direct report, that could really add up. Well, and that's, you know, so that's where they're like looking at, at team sizes, right? So one of the questions people get asked all the time is how big can your team be? And they said the boundary of the size of team that you can lead is your capacity for those touch points. Like how many people can you dedicate time to showing them that you care and helping them out every week. Mm-hmm. That's the number of people you can lead. Okay, understood. Well, so I guess I'd love to hear then, are there any, you talked about norms at one point. Uh, what are some of the norms that tend to be helpful across all meeting types? I think it's really awesome when a company finds the, or an organization finds norms that are meaningful to them and their values, right? So in some organizations, that's going to be things like every voice is heard, Right. Everyone speaks before you speak twice because 
diversity, inclusion, and, you know, voice is really important to them. In other organizations, it's going to be things like um, we start and end on time and the agenda is sent out two days in advance, <laughs> you know, because efficiency is, is really their thing. In some groups, uh, something like Chatham House rules or uh, Vegas rules matters a lot, right? Like what stays in the room, what happens in the room stays in the room. My favorite that applies to all meeting types and that uh, I think applies in every organization is a norm around having every meeting be optional. Mm -hmm. That sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you think about it, they already are. Right. Right. You know, you, you're a grown up. You don't have to go to any meeting. But when you make it explicit, you're saying that opting out of meeting won't have, you know, your, hey, you're fired consequences. Right. Well, and I actually want to talk about opting out of meetings. I think that it's a common occurrence that folks, when they are inviting people to a meeting, they don't want to be rude. And so they, they want to include folks. And so there, there's a, a miscommunication that happens often. So someone invites someone to a meeting and then the recipient thinks, oh, they expect me there. And so they show up and then they think, why, why did I even come here? So do you have any preferred scripts or verbiage or master ways to diplomatically decline the meeting? Well, first of all, you need to know that you deserve to have your time respected. So it is both respectful for you and for the people doing the inviting to speak up when you think that you can't contribute well to that room. Because every person sitting in a meeting that isn't contributing is dragging down the energy and the potential for everyone else there. So you are doing a service if you opt out of a meeting that you shouldn't be mm -hmm. in. And the way that we approach that is we just say, you know, hey, I actually am working on some other things that day. I don't have much to contribute here. I'd be happy to, you know, send in any information you need in advance and, and we'll look forward to seeing the notes afterwards. Okay. And you just opt out. There you have it. I'd also want to get your take on what are some of the best means of accomplishing some meeting goals that are not meetings? Oh, well, you know, let's take brainstorming. Brainstorming is, a, is something that we often pull a lot of people into a room for. We say, hey, we're going to come up with a whole bunch of new ideas for next week's marketing campaign or whatever it's going to be. Uh, tends not to be the most effective way to do it. That's something that is really well handled asynchronously, which means you post up the question and you ask everybody to contribute their ideas in advance. And there are a lot of technologies you can use to do that. And frankly, you can also, you know, have a box in the office where people throw in sticky notes. So brainstorming, that getting that first blush of original ideas out, much better handled outside of the meeting most of the time than it is in. Mm -hmm. Same thing for anything where they're digesting large pieces of information. So reading reports, coming up with strategies. One of the tactics we recommend and that we use ourselves quite a lot is we'll have a meeting to make sure we all understand a problem, right? We'll get together and we're like, say, okay, well, what's going on here? And and what are our options and, and start to get our heads around it. And then we'll schedule a follow-up meeting within a week to talk about what to do about it. So that time in between where we're processing it has, has some big time. Understood. Well, and Elise, I'm curious, are there any sort of final thoughts you have with regard to, to meetings or overlooked master strategies or tactics that could make a world of difference? You know, I... I think the real key is to understand that every meeting that you walk into is an opportunity. That's the place where your culture becomes real, right? Where, where the team understands what everyone cares about and the value that you can bring. It's the place where you get an opportunity to provide and show care for the people around you. 
and where you get to be a part of making the decisions that make your business or your organization really successful. So once you shift that mindset and you look at meetings as the opportunity that they are, then you can start to be in a place where you can learn about the different types and the skills that make make it so that you can take advantage of that opportunity. All right. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? So I have two. I'm not a huge fan of favorites and <laughs> sticking to just one thing because there's so many wonderful things out there. But there are a couple that I put together that work for me. And one is, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Which is from Mary Oliver's poem, The Summer Day. I love that. Like, what is your plan for your one wild and precious life? And then when I look at it from a business perspective and from a personal performance perspective, I pair it with another quote, which is, discipline is simply remembering what you really want. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Favorite book, holy moly. How about Time and the Art of Living by Robert Gruden? Thank you. And a favorite tool? You know, time blocking and scratch paper. And a favorite habit? A favorite habit, you know, listening to audiobooks while cooking large batches of food. Yes. <laughs> and is there a particular nugget you share that you're known for? People quote it back to you and retweet it often? The one that gets retweeted the most, uh, you know, beyond the basic stats and things is that you can't have a meeting of the minds if the minds aren't in the meeting. Hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? They can visit us on my company's website, which is lucidmeetings.com, and on my personal website, which is jaleesekeith.com, depending on what you're looking for. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? <laughs> you know, we've kind of covered it. But my challenge to you is this. You know, every meeting is an opportunity. Seize it. Your challenge is to shed any negative beliefs you've got about your meetings and step into those opportunities. All right. Well, Lise, thank you for this meeting. And I wish you all the best with all you're doing in meetings. Hey, uh, thank you so much. I think my favorite takeaway from Elise is that every non-speaker in the meeting drags down the energy of the meeting. And that's really a paradigm shift in terms of your thinking. Well, it doesn't hurt. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to leave them out or make them feel excluded. So, so why not just go ahead and invite them? Better to err on the side of, of more inclusion than exclusion. And, and that's a reasonable philosophy to run with. But I like the way Elise says, hey, now, actually, those extra folks who aren't contributing are a detriment in terms of bringing down the energy and the general vibe in terms of whether you feel encouraged, compelled to contribute or not, or to be silent like the other folks who are there who are being silent. So I dig that. So not only is it expensive in terms of that professional's time who's in that meeting and not really contributing, but also bringing down the energy for other folks. So a nice paradigm shifter from Elise. I hope you dug that and more. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. If you do, you'll catch our next guest. It's Anise Cavanaugh, and she is talking all about presence, how you're showing up, quote unquote, if you will, and the huge difference that makes. Hope to catch you there. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. 
Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash beawesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.